All right, good morning, Three Circle Church, and all of you joining us at all of our campuses and our online community that's with us as well. Man, it's going to be a great day as we, uh, we've already had a great weekend here at Three Circle. It's just been uh, incredible with all of our student ministries and all that happened at Uprise that you've already heard about. And we're going to continue in our Characters of Creation series today. You know, we've looked at several what we call Characters of Creation. We looked at uh, Adam, and we looked at Eve, and we looked at creation itself and how God declares his glory in this cathedral cathedral of his glory called creation. Well, today we're going to look at another character, and this character is going to also bring with it an event. So we're going to look at a character and an event uh, from Genesis 3. Remember, what we're doing is we're looking at the first few chapters of Genesis. We believe the Bible at Three Circle Church. We're a Bible church. So what I want you to know is I know that many of you may come and may not agree with what we are saying. We're still glad you're here. I'm still glad you're hanging in there with us. But I think what I owe you always is clarity. And so I want you to know we actually believe this book. We actually believe the Bible is true. And that includes the first three chapters of Genesis. We don't believe it's a fable. We don't believe it's a fairy tale. And that's because Jesus himself did not believe it was a fairy tale. Jesus knew everything, and he believed and taught that Genesis was real people, real events. And that includes the the character of creation we're going to look at today. Because today we're going to talk about the fact that we have a spiritual enemy. And our spiritual enemy is not a fable. It is not a Disney cartoon. We have a very real spiritual being that is the enemy of our souls, the enemy of God and the enemy of humanity. And we're going to see that origin story today. Let's go to Genesis 3.1. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now what I want you to do is you take out your pen and And if you're online, you can do it there. You can do it at all of our campuses. Please take out your pen and underline this phrase, did God actually say? It's very important that you understand this. This is the attack Satan started with. It's the attack he is still bringing to the table to this day against humanity and against God. Did God actually say? We're going to come back to that in just a moment. So what about this serpent? Number one, let me tell you who the serpent is. Because you may go, okay, is that just a snake that could talk? Or what's going on there, right? No, this serpent was a manifestation of the fallen angel Satan. That's who this was, a manifestation of Satan. Now, we're going to talk about this for a minute because, again, when we talk about Christianity, some people may really love the teachings of Jesus and, be, and think, okay, he taught us to live better lives and all that, but that's, that's, that's just part of what we believe. We actually believe Jesus was the son of God. And whatever Jesus believed and upheld, we believe and uphold as well. Jesus taught us that we have a spiritual enemy, Satan. Who is he? Well, the first thing you need to know about him is that he was not always a fallen creature. So if you go looking in other places, we don't have time to do it all today, but Satan was created, all things were created by God, including the angels, and he was created as one of the archangels. We only know three of them in the Bible. That's Michael and Gabriel and Satan, Lucifer. And he... uh, He is described in the Bible as having all the fine jewels that God ever made on his exterior and on his interior, in particular in his throat. The Bible tells you another place he had all the musical instruments that God created for us were inside of him. So he was like he was stunning. He was the most stunning of all the angels. And out of him came these sounds that were amazing. Okay, This is who we're talking about. Now, if you grew up like I did, how many of you grew up back in the day when Saturday mornings was like a special magical morning for children? Do y'all remember that? Because now kids, they get cartoons all the time. 
but that, they're spoiled, right? But how many of you remember back in the day when it was Saturday mornings, the only time you could watch cartoons? And so Saturday mornings were special to me because I got wrestling and I got cartoons, okay? So I got Hulk Hogan and Macho Man, ooh yeah. And then I got cartoons. And my favorite were the Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny and all those guys. And this is headed somewhere, trust me. So some of you are like, where's he headed with this? There was a guy by the name of Yosemite Sam. How many of y'all remember Yosemite Sam? He was an interesting guy, right? He had no legs. You could see the boots, and then it was boots and mustache. That was all he had. Had the hat. And here's the thing that's interesting. You go back and look. Look it up. You'll see it. So sometimes, often, Yosemite Sam would die in the car. This is when cartoons were great. There was no uh, political uh, science going on in cartoons back then. And so he would die somehow. Sometimes it was violent, blown, blown up by dynamite. He always figured out a way to end his own life accidentally. And so you know where he'd always go? Hell. Do y'all remember this? Yosemite Sam would end up in hell. And you're watching it, and like suddenly there's this, there's fire and all that, you know, it's like, and, and they make it kind of look like a spooky party, you know? And sure enough, guess who's in there waiting for him? The devil. The devil is there. And you know, of course, the devil is this cartoonish thing with uh, a spandex red suit on. He's got a little pointy tail. He's got little horns, and he has a pitchfork. Now, where did all that come from? It's so crazy, right? But that's kind of embedded in our minds. And you know, you know who I think loves that description more than anyone? I think Satan himself loves that we don't take him seriously, that we think it's a cartoon, we think it's mythical. But I'm here to tell you today that Satan is real and he's not wearing a spandex red jumpsuit. He's a spiritual being. And he was created by God, but he fell in rebellion. In fact, some commentators, many commentators would say, uh, that we can see the timeline of when he rebelled against God in Genesis. First of all, let me tell you why we believe that serpent was Satan. Well, the Bible tells us. And the Bible is how we learn. We, we let the Bible tell us about itself. It's called self-commentating, okay? So in Revelation 22, you go all the way to the other side of the Bible, it says this, and he sees the dragon who is that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. So in the end of days, you're going to see some things happening there where God is going to punish and bind Satan, but it's, telling, it's, it's connecting the dots. It's saying, this Satan is the dragon, and that dragon's also that serpent who was in Genesis. The Genesis account points to a timeline where the rebellion of Satan probably took place between Genesis 1.31 and 3.1, where we are today. Because in 3 1, we've got an evil, wicked, fallen creature coming into the garden. But if you look at 131, what does it say? God saw everything that He had made. That would include the angels, that would include demons before they were fallen. And He said, Behold, it's very good. So many commentators say that statement, and we don't know how much time took place between 131 and 3 1. So, and, and you don't have to pour concrete on this. This isn't going to change your salvation. I just think it's there. Let's look at it. It's interesting to me that that's a very good spot for it to happen because it looks like God's saying everything's good and then a rebellion took place in heaven. Well, what kind of rebellion was it? Well, we don't have to make that up. The Bible tells us what happened. In Revelation 12, 9 through 12, it says, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. 
And I love this line. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Amen, church? That is how we fight Satan. I got one person excited. I'm coming for the rest of you. (laughs) For they loved not their lives even unto death. Verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea meaning this domain that we're in. Woe to you, watch out, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Folks, listen, we have an enemy. This is why Peter, the apostle Peter, will write in his book, he will say, be sober and be vigilant for your adversary the devil roars about like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, again, some of you may go, man, this is hocus pocus, this is mythology, and, and, and that is your right to believe that. But it's my job, I think, to tell you what we believe. Jesus absolutely believed Satan was real and, in fact, had an interaction with him in the desert where he was tempted by Satan himself. The Bible tells us that Satan himself entered Judas at the Last Supper. There was a moment where the Son of God was looking at the fallen archangel Satan sitting at the Last Supper. And I love that Jesus is still telling him what to do. He says, go and do it quickly. Whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. I love that little line there where he's bossing Satan around, still in control. I like that. Because the Bible does not teach us that we should ever focus on Satan. But the Bible does teach us that we better be aware of him. Now, I grew up in all kinds of of talking about the devil a lot. We talked about the devil so much that I was scared of him. He used to have nightmares about him, okay? And I figured he looked, he had to look like this goat. These people that lived down the road from us had a goat, and and it it had a goatee and big horns, and we thought, that's got to be what the devil looks like. And so in my dreams as a little boy, I could see the devil coming down the road, coming to get me. I was scared to death of him. And that's unfortunate because the Bible tells us we do not have to fear him, that we have overcome him. But what it does not say is that we go do hand-to-hand combat with him and that we fight the devil and all this stuff. No, the Bible tells us clearly that we're to stand in Jesus, resist the enemy, and he must flee. But our focus is on Jesus. We're aware of the enemy. Our focus is always on Christ. And that's what we're going to see with Adam and Eve. They took their focus off of God and allowed their focus to be drawn to Satan. We live in a place of spiritual warfare The first attack, though, that Satan made, and it's why I had you underline it, was an attack on God's word. What did he say? Did God actually say? The first attack of Satan upon humanity was to question, and I can't tell you how important this is, the authority and the trustworthiness of God's word. Folks, this is not new, what's going on in our world right now, where this huge movement among churches, among Christians, where it's like, hey, the new cool thing to do is going to be we're going to totally dismantle our faith. And, I, and we're going to question everything we've ever believed. So let's just go through, and we think that'll be a good, wholesome journey to go on. To go through and question everything we've ever believed. And then and, and at some point, once you've torn it down, you kind of got to rebuild it, right? So what are we, we're going to rebuild it the way we want it. Because we're just not sure anymore. And if you think that's a good and wholesome and God-honoring journey for you to go down, again, I'm, I'm wishing you the very best, and I'm here to help you in every way I can. But let me tell you what a dangerous, slippery slope you're on when you begin to question, did God really say? The authority of God's word is the linchpin for everything that we're dealing with right now. Once the Bible is not the boss anymore, once God's word is not the authority anymore, then anything goes. 
Anything goes in our churches. Anything goes in what we believe. That's how sexuality gets off the rails. It's how marriages get off the rails. It's how culture gets off the rails. When we begin to somewhere along the way go, you know what? I know that's what he, uh, that's what he said, but did he really mean that? And is that, is that really what he said? And that was Satan's first attack. And he's still attacking to this day in the same way. And we think it's such a novel thing. It's not a new thing. It's like 10, 10, 12 years ago, the cool thing in churches, it called it the, uh, uh, the emergent movement. And the thing then was candles. Everybody's going to use a lot of candles and services. It's gonna, like, and it's like, dude, you know they were doing that a thousand years ago because they had to. They didn't have electricity yet. So we had this whole thing in churches where all church, the dude was going to get up. And, and every, every worship leader had an Australian accent for a while. Like, Revival is coming to the land. And, and they'd stand there with a guitar and do their thing. And, and it was this movement for a while. It's called the, the emergent movement. And everybody's lighting candles. We're going to do church like they did in castles and mythology. And it's like, dude, there's nothing new and cool about that. Like, cool, I like candles. That's awesome. We, we light candles lots of times here. But like, let's not act like that's the, this new novel thing. And so this is what we do. We regurgitate things as people. And now the new thing is, did he really say? Did he really say that? Did God really mean that about sexuality? Did God really mean that about social justice? Did God really mean that about race? Does God really have anything to say about these things? And I'm here to tell you today he does. And what he says is authoritative on these things. And if we don't have God's word as our authority, then what is the authority? And let me tell you what it is. When humans question, did God really say this? Often what they're trying to do is find a doorway to, I'm going to do what I say. What it is is a doorway to switch one authority for another. And you know what's interesting to me is almost no one ever questions the Bible on things that doesn't matter deeply to them. It's only when they want it to change for them that they begin to go, did God really say? Right? Did God really say that about culture? Did God really say that about sexuality? Did God really say that about this or that? And that was the first attack on the authority of God's word. Now, we still live in a spiritual war. You need to know that this is still going on. And the Bible warns us that it's still going on. In Ephesians 6, 12, Paul said this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So three circles, just let me tell you, we live in a spiritual world. And it's just as real as the dimension that you live in. It's just as real as you and I breathing and the skin on, and, and ha hair on our heads. And us breathing in our lungs and our hearts beating right now is just as real. The spiritual world. And the Bible tells you about it. Not to scare you, but to make you aware of it. That we need to remember that. So how did the first humans react to the first attack from Satan? Well, let's take a look. Genesis 3, 2 through 3. I want you to keep in mind that Adam is with Eve. So Adam's not up at the house reading his Bible. He's with Eve. He's standing right there with Eve. So whenever we go, look at Eve messing everything up for us. No, Adam is standing there doing nothing. Okay? And the woman said to the serpent, we may, I want you to watch what she says. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said... God said, so now she's going to deal with God's word, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Anybody see anything wrong with that? That's not what God said. That is not what God said. That is half of what God said. 
she has added, I like to call Eve and Adam because I just, I say Adam's allowing all this to happen, so he's culpable as well. They're the first Pharisees in one sense because the Pharisees added to the word of God. And, and God did not say they couldn't touch it. He said, you shall not eat of it. So the first thing Eve does is mishandles the word of God. She's literally misrepresenting what he said. She's saying that he said more than he said. In a moment, because, watch this, because we at Three Circle believe, we're going to teach this, that it is just as great an evil to go beyond the word than to fall short of it. We can't add to it. We should not take away from it. So it is wrong to go short of God's word in disobedience. It is wrong to go beyond God's word in adding to it. And Eve and Adam just made that mistake. And so don't you think Satan knows he's got them then? He's like, well, if you'll be loose enough with the word of God to add to it, I can easily get you to take away from it. Because the same looseness and inaccuracy you have with the word on one side, you're more than willing to have on the other. And that is what happened with the Pharisees. The Pharisees came to Jesus one day and said, your, your disciples need to be washing their hands. And he said, no, that's one of your rules, not my rule. They don't want, you know, and Peter's over there, thank goodness. He got mud all over his hands, you know, I guess. And so, they, they, you know, they're not exactly using Germex. The, these are country boys, okay? And then Jesus had to point out to the Pharisees that he said, hey, you guys add to the word of God, but then often you don't keep it. And he went at them about the loopholes that they had for not having to take care of their parents. If their parents got sick and they had created loopholes to keep people from fulfilling God's word. And then on the other side, they had added to God's word, heavy weights, Jesus called them, that God did not ever put on his people. And so we got to be careful. Hey, if, if we're going to stand on the authority of God's word, then we better not fall short of it and also stop adding to it, which is what religion has done forever and churches have done forever. Amen? So, I mean, I grew up with some of this. You did too if you grew up in church, and I love the church I grew up in, but hey, the Bible says no sexual deviancy. So he said, well, then no dancing. How do we get that, man? You know, so look, I think I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. I think I could have, if y'all remember, man, MC Hammer, he had a dance and I think I could have dropped that thing, man. <laughs> Just me on the floor. But I was always like, man, I better not, I better not do that. So it was only in the prophecy of my home. <laughs> don't add to it. Don't take away from it. And that's what she did. Genesis 3, 4 through 5, but the serpent said to the woman, and this is when he goes in for the kill, he's a liar. He said, you will not surely die. So now he's saying, you can't trust God's word. And then he, he questions his motives. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan is a liar. He always has been. Jesus called him the father of lies. And he always promises that sin can offer more than it can deliver. Always. He will always try to get you to believe that if you will disobey God, there's something good there for you. And haven't you experienced enough of life to know that that's not the truth? Your greatest regrets are always going to be whenever you did not obey God. You're never going to look up and go, man, I wish that I wouldn't have obeyed God. You're never going to say those words. I want you to remember again, because it's so important, Adam and Eve were together for all of this during the entire attack. They both bear the consequences equally for the fall. And then the saddest verses maybe in the Bible, Genesis 3, 6 through 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
This is what we call the fall. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate the fall. Then the eyes of both were, so they immediately changed. God told them, if you ever do that, you're going to die. And they did die spiritually. Immediately, the eyes of both were open. They knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, which is what I call the first human religion. Because religion is when you try to cover for yourself. They sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. So here they are, and they realize they are now sinners. They're ashamed of their own bodies, and they're going to run from God as well. They have died spiritually, write it down, and they are never going to be the same. Now, what we want to do now is for the next few powerful verses in Genesis, you're going to see that God pursues his lost creation with incredible care and grace. He's going to come for them. But I didn't want you to just read these words. I wanted you to feel them. I want you to experience them. Sometimes music helps us do that. So for the next few verses... I want you to listen and feel and experience the pursuit of God for fallen creation. And he heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? in secret places that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. I have you. 
God knew right where they were. The questions he asked were not questions for information. They were questions to connect. He knew right where they were. He knew right where to come for them. Spiritual death had separated them from God, and it separated all of us. We are born separated from God, and it's only when we're born spiritually, as Jesus taught, that we can be Christians, that we can be saved, that we can be what the Bible calls born again. What happened next in Genesis 3, 10 through 15, and he said... Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. He'd never been afraid before of God. I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, there you go. She gave me the fruit, the, the, the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Well, the Lord God said to the serpent, and remember, he's going to speak to the physical creature first, which was embodied by Satan. So he's going to talk to the creature first, then he's going to talk to the fallen angel. So to the creature, he says, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm really glad that part of it happened because I don't want a world with snakes walking around. All right, I'm glad I got that advantage on them. Now he talks to Satan, and this is what many call the evangelium. It is the first uh, glimpse of the gospel in the Bible. It says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan now. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. So what God is saying is, right there in Genesis, he's saying, just so you know, there's a plan. I've got a plan and there is one coming. And you just set into motion something you can't even imagine. There's one coming. He will come from her. He'll be a part of her seed. And when he comes, you will bruise his heel. But that's just a wound. He's going to crush you. He's going to end your reign. He's going to bring glory and honor to my name. And we all know who that is. He's talking about Jesus, right? And we love what we see here in the Bible. What an amazing point. God revealed in the Garden of Eden the plan for Jesus to come and to rescue. Now, folks, listen. Here at Three Circle, you can learn a lot of things. You'll learn how to have a better marriage. You'll learn how to be better parents. You'll learn how to be better teenagers. You'll learn how to do all kinds of things, be missional, all those things. But the core of the story is the rescue. The core of the story is we are all lost without Jesus and that there is no hope apart from him. No hope. It is, it, when the Bible brings it to our doorstep like this, we have to bring it to you. Folks, let me tell you, if you're just coming to church and you've been coming to church a long time, I promise you, it is fig leaves without Jesus. Because that's what Adam and Eve did. When they realized they had messed up, they thought, well, we'll cover ourselves. That's what religion does. We'll be good people. We'll cover our own nakedness. And God's looking at them going, no, you can't do that. So what did he do? God covered them. Look at Genesis 3.21. The Lord God made, after they already tried the fig leaf thing, he said, no, 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 I have to cover you. You can't cover your own sin. You can't cover your own rebellion. I have to. So he does. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. And he did that by killing animals to do it. It's the first deaths in the Bible. And it was a sacrifice that was made to cover humans. And it's not the last one. 
Those were temporary garments. But one day, this Jesus that he alluded to here in chapter 3 of Genesis will come and give his life. Will give his life. And it was not accidental and the Romans didn't take his life. It was given and sacrificed. So yes, at three circle, we believe in substitutionary penal atonement. We believe that God punished his son in our place. Yes. In fact, we believe it's one of the pillars of the gospel. And folks, listen, being a good person isn't going to do it. I got to be honest with you. And if you come to this church, oh, we love this church. It makes us so happy. We come on Sundays and the kids' ministry is so good. And my teenager came to Uprise and everybody's happy. We love church. I want you to love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Do you love the Jesus? Not the, not the one the world's come up with that just pats you on the head and just be happy. Jesus is not Bob Marley. Jesus is not hanging out at some pier eating granola bars and avocado toast. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, died on the cross for us, and he says today is the day of salvation. Jesus says, come to me, I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, no one will see the Father unless they come through me. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the truth, the life, and the way. I am living water, come to me and drink and you'll never thirst again. Jesus says, you've got to come to him. It is him that you need. And I'm glad you love church. And I'm glad you love the things that are offered here. But I would be remiss if I let you spend a decade loving this church and loving the things we do and never get you to Jesus. You need Jesus. And you need to give your life to him. And you need to make him Lord and Savior of your life because only God can cover us. Only God can cover you. And if you're not covered by God and you in this life, still wearing your own religion of fig leaves, you will spend eternity apart from God. You will spend forever without God. But if you believe in Jesus and you let him clothe you, then you will spend eternity with him. That's really good news, isn't it? And you cannot earn that. And my prayer today is that you would receive him as Savior if you have never done that. If you're here and you're a Christian, so what's the number one thing you want me to take away from here today, Chris? Well, first, Jesus has power over Satan. You don't fear him, just be aware of him, okay? But number two, this, the word of God has to be our authority. I don't know where we go after that. It must be our authority. If your authority is just love, well, that's gonna take you down a million bad roads. If, if your authority is how you feel, my goodness, that's called a roller coaster, man. You need something objective. And we have that. It's been given to us. It's a great gift. It is God's word. This must be our authority. If you're going to be a person of Jesus, Jesus has a book. You've got to be a person of the book. And I pray that those of you who don't know him will, will make him the Lord of your life. Let him cover you the way he did Adam and Eve. And those of you who are Christians, follow the word. Submit to the authority of God's word in your life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you today for your truth. Help us to follow you completely. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.